Coming out to you almost live from the most boring apocalypse in human. Hey folks, thanks so much for coming back to listen. This is our brand new podcast. The Cottonmouth Club presents. The Cottonmouth Club presents in which we talk all things bars, bartending spirits, cocktails. Everything has to do with bars all through the specific lens of hospitality, which is unique to this kind of place. Fuego! Fuego. Fuego. So we're continuing our series of Cowboy Storytime, read by Danny Furness in his cowboy voice and his Texas twang. Right now we're reading Gunman's Bluff by Max Brand, in which our intrepid gunslinger Cheyenne loses the use of his right hand, which is his shooting hand. Today we're reading part seven. But before we go on, I just want to remind everybody we are still bartenders, which means we do work for tips. So if you like what you're hearing, give some love to our tip jar on Venmo at the Cottonmouth Club staff. That's Venmo, the Cottonmouth Club staff, the Cottonmouth Club dash staff. Every little bit helps. We appreciate everyone who's dropped a buck or two in our tip jar. All the money goes directly to the staff to keep them in food and everything else they need until we figure all this out. So without further ado, I'm passing you on to Danny Furness reading Gunman's Bluff. Thanks so much and stay tuned. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. <laughs> I'm all right. How you doing? Good <laughs> uh, So, uh, it's like old Cheyenne went to that dance, huh? Yeah, yeah. Against his better judgment. I mean, I think against everybody's better judgment. They all seem a little shocked about it. Well, do Phil will do silly things when he goes meets pretty girl. That's true. And that dumb girl is just like, I don't yeah. get it. What's everyone so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't get how she doesn't know. Well, he knows who she is, and she doesn't really know who he is. Yeah. But he's going down there to dance anyway. All right, let's see what you got then. All right, all right. Part seven. Everyone in the big room seemed to be asking the same question at the same moment. And the rest of the crowd rapidly stopped dancing and drifted away to the sides of the barn. The orchestra died away piece by piece, following the example of the slide trombone. The drums, the cornet, the bass viol went silent one by one, and the only music that remained was the thrilling voice of the violin. The violinist was old Pop McKenzie, 70 years old with a rag of white beard on his chin that still danced faster than young feet ever performed to his music. The good old man had been sitting down, sawing away at the strings with his head canted a little to one side. But when he saw the crowd breaking up and pouring away from the single pair that remained, He jumped to his feet and began to play with such a waltz as he never had played before, to woo those two dancers to continue. The drummer snarled at his shoulder. Don't you be a fool, Pop. There's going to be guns banging away pretty soon. Out yonder, that's Cheyenne who's dancing with Dolly Martin. Is that Cheyenne? Well, God bless him. If he's going to die, he'll die to all the music that I can give him, answered Pop McKenzie and he made his fiddle whistle more sweetly and loudly than before. What is it? The girl was repeating to Cheyenne. Everyone has stopped, even the music, except Pop McKenzie. Do you know what's wrong? I know what's wrong, he said. Please tell me. I'm what's wrong. You, John Jones? I'm not John Jones. He held her a bit closer. What do you care about the name? Well, you'll start hating me in another five minutes, Dorothy. But up to then, while the fiddle plays, why shouldn't we dance? 
I'll never start hating you, she answered him. Her father was a Martin, he knew, who had moved into the community only a year or two before, and perhaps the reputation of Cheyenne might not be such an outrage to his mind and to his daughter as to the rest. But they knew, all men knew, about the recent killing of Danny Martin. I'm a man that all the Martins are bound to curse, he told her. All the Martins? Then I'm not really a Martin. How they are staring. Dolly! shouted a loud voice. Cheyenne saw a tall, gaunt, stern-featured man standing at the side of the hall, holding up a hand. He was of middle age. There was a brightness in his eyes that made Cheyenne recognize him as the father of Dorothy Morton. Dolly, stop dancing, you hear me? She stiffened inside the arms of Cheyenne. I've got to stop, she said. One more round. It'll be the last one, said Cheyenne. She came back to him, although she said, It's my father. I know it, said Cheyenne. Ah, but they are staring at us. It's a good way to use their eyes. He hardly needed to touch her with his hands. She was so close, so balanced in a perfect rhythm. And all about them he heard a rising sound as the muttering of trees far off across a forest. But this was composed of the voices of men and women. It gathered in strength. Tall Ned Martin was striding across the floor. Dolly, do you mind what you're doing? Dancing with Cheyenne, he shouted. One might have thought that she had known the name all the while. There was no touch or stir of shock in her. He looked into her eyes, and they were the unalterable blue of mountain lakes. Did you hear him? he asked. I heard, said the girl. And there's no difference? There'll never be any difference, she said. I just choked up a little bit. <laughs> All right. Did you hear him, he asked. I heard, said the girl. And there's no difference. There'll never be any difference, she said. Long ago, years and years before, he had thought she was no more than a child. He began to understand now that he'd been wrong. They moved straight past the outstretched arms and the stunned face of Ned Martin. Some of the men were starting out from their places along the wall as Cheyenne stopped in front of the entrance. The anteroom was crowded. Men out there had guns in their hands. They had grimly waiting faces. Between the barn and sideways, there was a distance of 30 steps that could be 30 deaths for him. Look, said Cheyenne, you're the bigger half of things from now on. It may not be long, but you're the bigger half of things. Goodbye. You came because I asked you, she was saying. You knew. He turned on his heel. If she had understood why he had come, he would make the going easier. They were all there about him. He saw Chuck Martin back in the crowd with his head lowered a little. And as he saw the face of Chuck, the right arm of Cheyenne, seemed as heavy and lifeless as lead. He remembered how Chuck had fired the bullet on that other day, dropping to his knees behind a table where the return fire of Cheyenne had made him sprawl on the floor. He saw the Gloucesters, father and son. They were Martins, to all intents and purposes. 
Everyone in Martindale lived in the town because they were bound together by strong ties of blood. Fifty men were ready for Cheyenne. He walked right into their ranks, thronging the door into the anteroom. They were seated on either side of him. He said, All right, boys, look me over and bid up my price. There's only one head of me, but I want the price of a herd. They spilled away on either side like water from the prow of a ship. And then he was standing, buckling on his gun belt. Someone said, you grab him, Chuck. Dive at his knees. Chuck Martin kept scowling, his huge shoulders stirring. But he could not quite force himself to take the final step. Out of the dance room, Dorothy Martin cried. Let me go to him, father. He came here because I asked him. I didn't know, and he wouldn't explain. If anything happens to him... Something is gonna happen to him, cried Chuck Martin. Tough-ass Chuck Martin. <laughs> you like that? Is that better? All right. It's your story. <laughs> all right, all right. Cheyenne pulled his hat over his eyes and walked up to the speaker. With his left hand, he struck Chuck across the face. The blow left a white patch between the cheekbone and the chin. Why don't you move a hand? Asked Cheyenne. Then added, give me room. And stand back, will you? They stood back. The sound of the blow that Chuck had endured without protest still seemed to be echoing through the brains. They had chosen Big Chuck for a leader, and Chuck Martin was remembering too well that the gun of Cheyenne was a fatal thing. Perhaps he had courage enough to fight and to die, but he could not be a leader. He fell back, and the others receded around him. That was how Cheyenne came to the outer edge of the crowd. Between that edge of that sea of danger and sideways, there was one open space. He would die as he crossed it, Cheyenne knew, but bullets would strike him from behind. Dolly, cried a frantic voice of Ned Martin. Where are you going? Come back here. Then she was outside, running toward Cheyenne. She was a flash of white coming to him. She put an arm around him. She walked, leaning against him, looking back at the mass of her armed kinsmen. They won't dare shoot now. But faster, faster, Cheyenne. You ain't gonna let him get loose, yelled Chuck Martin. Oh, you damned rats. You ain't gonna let him get loose, are you? Give me a chance to get through. Let me get at him. There was a stirring and a movement in the crowd. Men began to exclaim. Everyone had a voice and a thought. None was the same. And always Ned Martin, pushing forward among the rest, was shouting to his daughter to return. But she stood with Cheyenne at the side of his mare. Only because I asked you, would you have come into this, she said. Ah, oh, John, you could have died. Be quick, take sideways. Oh, sideways, carry him safe and fast. There was need for speed. The Martins, having been held by the hypnotic power of this man's reputation, had remained with all their strength dammed up in front of the dance hall. Now that he was at a distance, perhaps he was smaller in their eyes. They came out with a rush, and their voices rose in one increasing, gathering volume. But Cheyenne, 
A slant in the saddle was already making sideways fly down the street through the night. A good bluff could be made to stick. Cheyenne carried that lesson away with him, as sideways cut swiftly along the dark trail. Perhaps with consummate skill and nerve, he might be able to go the rest of his life without being brought closer to a showdown than he had been at that moment in Martindale. He lived. There was not a scratch on him to show what he had done, and the thought of Dorothy Martin rollicked through his mind like the music of game old Pop McKenzie. Once more he realized that he should take the northern trail, but he was more than ever loath to leave. If he could continue to bluff his way out of situations as tight as that one tonight, dot, dot, dot. So he went straight back to the shack on the side of Old Smokey. Yep. <laughs> well, um... I don't want to spoil anything, but there, there, there's a couple more chapters, man, and like... He's not going to be able to bluff his way out of that shit. No, no, no. No, no, no. 50 men, 30 steps. You caught that. I like that. You like this story. If you like what you're hearing, give some love to our tip jar on Venmo at Cottonmouth Club staff. Dope. <clears throat>